I'm John Kovach. I've been a newsman, a sports announcer, and a football coach, but the one constant since I was old enough to stand next to a stream with my dad has been fishing. I've waded rapids, stood on slick rocks, hacked through ice, and been tossed about the deck of a boat. And I want you to love fishing as much as I do and join me on this journey. Welcome to Yankee Fisherman, presented by The Dock Shop. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Yankee Fisherman this Thursday, August 3rd. We are less than a week away from the big hearing here in Connecticut on the new fishing regulations. We have gone right to the top to talk about them, have them explained, and hopefully answer any of your questions about them. Peter Arstead joining us. Peter, you are the head of both inland and marine fisheries in the reorganized uh, DEEP? Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, simply known as the fisheries division now, but uh, we've got some tremendously competent staff running our marine program, so I don't have to get too terribly involved in that one. And a lot of the regulations... And our regulations that we're going to be talking about are exclusively on the inland side for the purposes of this uh, regulation hearing next week. Right, that's what I was going to say, is it's all inland regulations. It's going to affect trout, it's going to affect carp, catfish, some other things. The big one that has gotten the most uh, feedback is the trout and salmon stamp proposal. It would require the purchase of a $5 trout stamp, a $10 salmon stamp, or you could buy a combination for $12 rather than the $15. Explain who would have to buy these stamps, Peter. Sure. Anyone that is uh, fishing in public waters, uh, actually, if they're fishing in public waters and they are license holders and they harvest trout or plan to harvest trout, they would need such a stamp. Uh, simply fishing in some of our special management areas, whether fish are kept or not, would also require the trout stamp. And for the most of this conversation, I'll be speaking about the trout stamp. They are, it, it would be more applicable statewide than the, the salmon stamp would be. But uh, both of those were included in this regulations package. Uh, we had uh, developed this over the period of several months. It's been considered actually for a few years. The Connecticut General Assembly gave us the authority in uh, 2008. 16 legislative session to develop uh, trout stamps to, you know, augment the income for, for our agency and for our hatchery programs. Prior to that, we, we have had the authority to implement a salmon stamp. That goes back many years, but to date we had not done this. So we did move forward with draft regulations, and as mentioned, uh, if you're harvesting a trout in statewide waters, uh, public waters, and if you're if you need a license, basically anyone under the age of uh, over the age of of 15, if you're 16 and above, you'd need a license. You would also need the the trout stamp. And if you're fishing in trout management areas, wild trout management areas, trout parks, you would also need a uh, a trout stamp whether or not fish are harvested. And in many of those areas, you cannot harvest trout. And the question that was raised to me 
was how do you define possession? Because it talks about possessing a trout. And the question that was brought up to me was, I'm going to catch and release. I don't have a trout stamp. I'm releasing the trout when the NCON officer walks over. Am I in violation? I don't think somebody would be in violation if they're simply catching and releasing, unless they're fishing in a trout management area or a wild trout man management area or trout park where just the simple act of fishing would require the possession of, of the stamp. You know, there's a lot of people now might, might accidentally catch a fish that they don't plan to keep. They might want to take a picture of it. You, you know, you use proper handling procedures, keep the fish underwater, keep it wet, don't lift it out of the water for excessive periods of time. Take your photo, release the fish, you should be good to go. So, yeah, we, I know sometimes folks like to argue over semantics, but uh, our NCON officers are generally pretty reasonable people. And uh, if there's no intent to uh, violate, I don't think anybody would be pinched for simply catching and then releasing a fish that uh, they're, they're legally allowed to do. Now, because the trout and salmon stamps carry with it a price, it hits in the pocketbook, even though it's not a huge fee. Of course, that has some people riled up. How's the feedback been leading up to the August 9th hearing? Sure, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, we have a lot of different uh, elements of our regulations package, but as, as you've already noted, the, uh, the salmon and trout stamp one is uh, probably what is garnering the most attention. We've received, I believe, well over 300 individual pieces of written correspondence so far uh, in the form of emails to uh, Bill Foreman in our office, as well as, you know, logged into the Secretary of the State's website through that process. Uh, my understanding is about you know, 70% of the commentary on the, the, the stamp proposal is unfavorable. So, you know, we, we live in a time now where, where folks are, are sort of riled up at government in general. We're living in a time where we, we currently don't have a state budget. We know there's uh, tremendous pressure on our programs uh, across state government. We've certainly been faced with that in our hatchery system. But, uh, you know, we, and we are raising fewer trout. That was a necessity. So I can understand why, why folks don't like any kind of an increase, especially at a time when, uh, by necessity, we've had to reduce production a little bit. But if this moves forward, and we, we, we've conservatively estimated it would generate about 300000 additional dollars per year uh, that would have to come back to our our agency and more more specifically to our fish and wildlife programs well, we're hoping that we can uh, turn turn back the clock a little bit and uh, get production in our hatcheries back to where it had been over the last few years and that is something that I want to address here is there's this misconception that the additional money would go to the general fund, that it's not going to go to fishing. It's not going to go to the hatcheries. I've been to several presentations by you, by Bill Hyatt, and explain again that that is not the case. 
Sure. We actually have been spending a lot of time trying to dispel this rumor for, for many years. And uh, there's a we, we get a certain amount of our uh, sportsmen's dollars from federal uh, sources, you know, the, the Walla Bro uh, excise tax on fishing tackle and equipment. That's a 10% excise tax. It's paid by the manufacturers, but it's in essence to f get funneled back to the states on a proportional basis. That money, uh, the, the, we have to have laws in place at the state level to uh, assure the federal government that that money is spent on fish and wildlife programs. So the law in Connecticut that does that is Connecticut General Statute 26-15A, and it, it essentially says 100% of those fees have to go back to our bureau, which is, you know, fish and wildlife. So uh, we can keep saying it. I guess some people don't believe it, but it's the fact, uh, you know, actually we do in get more money out of the general fund than is put in by sportsmen. You know, we're one of the executive branch agencies and, you know, taxpayer money in, in essence supports all of the functions of state government, including what we do. Uh, because not everybody fishes and hunts, you know, there's an expectation, you know, across the country, it's the North American model of wildlife management that you know, sportsmen, you know, will shoulder a little bit more of the burden for their programs for conservation. And most folks willingly do that, and they've been doing it for, for many, many years. So it's just another example of that. But again, uh, anytime you're talking about raising fees, it can get controversial. Uh, I was disappointed this earlier this year when the General Assembly did not uh, pass forward legislation to you know, moving forward, uh, uh, stop uh, having free licenses for seniors. Um, you know, we know seniors get uh, discounts for all sorts of services, and that's wonderful. That's great. Uh, hunting and fishing, you know, fishing licenses in particular, we're getting to a point where it's unsustainable. We're, the state's giving away about 30,000 free licenses every year. And if we look at our demographics, it's just not going to be a good thing from a budgetary perspective. So that that didn't pass. Maybe it'll come up again in the future. I certainly hope it does. That would have been, I, I believe, a $5 fee for a senior to get an annual fishing license, whereas, whereas they've been free. Folks would have been grandfathered in. It would have been 5 for a marine license or a $7 combined license. So, again, people don't like it because any, any increase of any sort – is somewhat uh, viewed as a tax, and that's just the way it is. And we just scrolled through some posters, and this is part of an education effort by the DEEP to remind anglers and hunters that 100% of their license fees do go to hunting and fishing programs. We need to keep uh, hammering home that point. Uh, again, it's uh, most people understand it uh, every year. Uh, Bill Hyatt, our bureau chief, uh, puts a nice article in the you know annual uh, angler's guide. For those of uh, you folks that want to read it, uh, go to page four this year, and you can uh, see what Bill has to say. It describes our funding sources and our expenditures. 
That's the big one of the trout and salmon stamps, the trout stamp specifically. We're going to step out. When we come back, Peter's going to stay with us. We're going to talk about changes in the trout management areas, uh, changes with tankara fishing, uh, changes with carp, and changes with catfish, all on Yankee Fisherman, presented by the Dock Shop. School's out, the weather is hot, and the fish are biting. Whether you're heading to the beach or out on a boat, stop in at the dock shop before you go to fill your beach bag or tackle box with everything you'll need for fun in the sun. A new beach cover-up, some sunscreen, or just some bait, the dock shop has you covered from either location. 51 Tokenique Road, Darien, 609 Riverside Avenue, Westport. And yes, you heard that right. Bait is now available in Darien and Westport. The dock shop. 51 Tokenique Road, Darien, 609 Riverside Avenue, Westport, DocShop.com. A Better View Window Cleaning Plus has been cleaning glass all over Connecticut for over 20 years. They also specialize in cleaning chandeliers, mirrors, skylights, tiles, and will power wash anything that needs cleaning. They hold an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and are fully insured and bonded. When you deal with A Better View, you're dealing with the best, not the rest. Call today for a free estimate, 203-284-8836, or visit them online, abetterviewcleaning.com. Celebrate summer with fresh made-to-order picnic boxes from Walter Stewart's Market. We have delicious summery selections from buttermilk fried chicken to grilled lemon chicken kebab, grilled shrimp Caesar salad wraps, or lobster salad rolls. Our easy-to-carry picnic boxes come with your choice of a meal, as well as a dessert, beverage, and utensils. Order online for simple pickup options. Walter Stewart's Market, 229 Elm Street, New Canaan, and online at stewartsmarket.com. If you've ever thought about owning a motor coach or learning about what it's like to travel the open road in superior style and comfort, then contact Dave's RV Center in Danbury, Connecticut. Offering the best quality Class A motorhomes from Newmar, travel trailers and fifth wheel lines from Surveyor, and a toy hauler line from Work and Play. Choose from Newmar's Gas Line, Base Star and Canyon Star, or from Newmar's Diesel Line, Ventana and Dutch Star. And with unparalleled service and maintenance, Dave's RV is committed to keeping you and your motor coach safely on the road and enjoying it to the fullest. Stop by their showroom, 2 Industrial Plaza Road, Danbury, Connecticut, or call 877-483-3866. Want a new experience in car buying? No aggravation, no confrontation, just answers to all your questions. Scap Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, car buying the way you want it to be. With one of the largest selections of new two- and four-door Jeep Wranglers available, we are Connecticut's Wrangler headquarters. Located in Fairfield, Connecticut, we're easy to get to. Just two and a half miles off the Merritt Parkway, exit 44 via Route 50. South. Save thousands right now at the Summer Clearance Event, now through August 31st. Welcome back to Yankee Fisherman, presented by the Dock Shop. It's Thursday, August 3rd. We are talking with Peter Arstead of the Fisheries Division of the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. We have a hearing coming up August 9th in Connecticut about changes to the regulations. We've just very thoroughly discussed the trout and salmon stamp, which has garnered a lot of attention because it is an extra uh, an extra few bucks on the license. Peter, one that's of great interest in our neck of the woods here in southwestern Connecticut, really just a few miles from where we're standing right now, uh, the extension of the wild trout management area on the Mill River in Easton and Fairfield. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, this is a proposal we've been uh actually trying to implement for several years. Uh, the regulation process always takes a little longer than we think it's going to. 
since I've been director, we've been on like an every third year uh, regulations uh, proposal. So our last set went into effect in 2015, and with any luck, uh, the regs we're teeing up now will go into effect in 2018. But we weren't quite ready to, to pull the trigger on the Mill River the last time around, even though we had already been doing some research there for several years. The long and short of it is, is the, the Mill River is a, a classic tailwater fishery. It's uh, got exceptionally cold water and great habitat. Uh, you know, we're obviously in, in New England and other parts of the country, cold water fisheries resources are under are under threat due to climate change and development and a whole lot of other things. But uh, in our state, you know, some of our, our more uh, consistent fisheries and the places where we can generally uh, get by with during warmer water conditions and such are these places where water is released from, from dams. It's, it's stratified, the water's cold, and that's certainly the case on the Mill River. There's a, there's a release coming out of the uh, water supply reservoir upstream. So it's been a very successful wild trout management area for I believe the 1.45 section downstream of the reservoir more or less. Uh, then we had a, a six tenths of a mile open section. And I mean open basically saying you've got standard uh, five fish per day opening day until, you know, when the season closes regulations. And then below that, there was another six-tenths of a mile or so of a seasonal trout management area. And many of our seasonal trout management areas are on streams that uh, maybe warm up a little bit uh, more than we like in, in the summer. And so we re allow some limited harvest. So we, we took a look at this whole area uh, we realized that some folks who fish early season in the open section might feel displaced. We, we looked at several different options, uh, but we ultimately decided to simplify things and to maximize the success and utility of the, the wild trout section. We would extend downstream the wild trout management area. And it's a class one wild trout management area, which means uh, we don't stock it at all. Uh, and the fishing is with uh, artificial lures only with it, or flies with a single, uh, single hook that, that's barbless. No bait is allowed in those sections. So we extended that down through this area that has historically been an open section. And then we are, in addition, turning the formerly seasonal TMA into a year-round TMA, which would be uh, catch and release only. So our plan is to uh, stock the trout that had been stocked into the open section farther downstream on public waters, also within the Mill River. So I, I think I captured all the elements, but I'd certainly answer any other questions you might have. Well, I guess the, the one personally for me is um, part of that runs right along Congress Street, and it's really only feet from the Merritt Parkway. I see a lot of cars get off the Merritt Parkway, fish that stretch, uh, sometimes with bait, sometimes with multiple hooks. That area is going to be part of the TMA, and is that going to be difficult to enforce because it is such a highly traveled area? 
Uh, anytime you have a change, you know, it, we're really not sure what kind of enforcement challenges we'll get. Uh, generally, you know, initially, our, I, I don't think our NCON officers are going to be, uh, you know, coming in with a real hard enforcement. We like people to be educated and learn about the regulations. So uh, we, we hope to gain compliance. It may not be immediate. Uh, but and the, the area you mentioned is in, a, in essence the open section that is you know has been traditionally used by you know the early season anglers, the opening day anglers, and that type of thing. But you know when we really looked at the potential of this stream and the and the quality of it, we really felt like we were doing a disservice to you know wild trout management by you know retaining that you know five fish a day you know sort of standard stocking uh, or, you know, open section there in the middle. So that, that's why we're making the change. And I think it's just going to be easier for people to understand. It was confusing. While we're talking about TMAs, uh, and I've always, people get excited about opening day, and because I do a lot of fly fishing, virtually all catch and release, there's really no opening day for a guy who fishes the TMAs to really get excited about you're restoring some of the opening day excitement up on the Farmington, particularly in Riverton? That's our intent. Uh, we're, we're getting some feedback on this uh, proposal, and there is some confusion out there, evidently. Uh, some people think we're closing down the entire TMA, and there, there's actually a couple of different TMAs, but there's almost 21 miles of river that are, are managed for trout. And it's an exceptional fishery, as you know, both in the main stem Farmington and the West Branch. But uh, in response to some, some, in, some requests we got from uh, the folks who, put, who have annually put on the, uh, the Farmington River Derby on opening day, I think that goes back to 1949. Uh, the people involved with that, as well as the town of Bark Hampstead and a few other folks, you know, we were approached and, and, you know, they said, you know, fishing on opening day is not what it used to be uh, because we had changed just within the two, two regulation cycles ago uh, how which areas were open for fishing in a, in a traditional manner versus uh, in a TMA sense. So at that time, I think it was 2012, we expanded the, the trout management area upstream, and it went through the, the village of Riverton, which is the heart of, you know, the, the central part of where, you know, the opening day fervor always had been on the Farmington, and that's where the derby took place. So the, the, the fact is people could fish it year-round, and when newly uh, stocked fish are, are fished upon and caught a few times, they're maybe not as easily caught by opening day anglers. So, you know, we, and, and after making that regulation change back in 2012, we, we did get, you know, a fair amount of, you know, concern expressed by, by some anglers that they didn't think it was fair that we, we turned everything into a trout management area. So that, that was a little bit of a mix. So, you know, I, I know I, I hate to use the term, but the pendulum is swinging back a little bit because we are certainly trying to accommodate the folks who have been, you know, sponsoring the Derby and traditional opening day anglers. Uh, you know, that, that village there in Riverton, it's part of uh, 
by the by the Hitchcock Chair Factory. You know, it's right there in the heart of what has always been a very, very, very popular opening day trout fishing experience. So without taking away much from the the avid anglers like yourself who might be fishing year round in a catch and release manner, we're trying to give a little bit back to, to the other to the other anglers. And the the fact is our proposed closure would only be from midnight on April 1st until 6 a.m. on opening day. Uh, so that would be a period of, you know, from, you know, 7 to 14 days thereabouts. Uh, I believe uh, opening day on the 18, uh, 2018 is uh, the 14th, which is about as late as it could be. Yeah. So that would be a two-week period, a two-week period where it's closed. And we, we measured the distance off of a map. It's about 1.2 miles in total. Uh, when you when you consider that there's 20 miles of managed river that's available to fish year-round, we don't think it's going to be that big of an impact on, you know, the, the folks who like to, to fish year-round up there. I think the impact's going to be the positive impact that the people who run the fishing derby are looking for. Another change uh, we're going to codify, as I understand it, that Tenkara fishing, telescopic rod, fixed line, no reel, that will be allowed in the fly fishing areas if this regulation package passes? That's our plan. You know, there's always some new emerging fishery that, you know, might not be new worldwide, but it might be new to the Northeast. And, and this is one of these uh, techniques that came upon the scene a few years ago here in Connecticut. I don't think it's practiced widely, but uh, a 10 car a rod does not have a reel on it. So our, our, our regulation or definition of fly fishing, you know, outlines what, what that all entails. And I won't go through the whole thing, but it always said you need, you know, the, the fly line, the rod, the reel. So with this fishery, there were, there were some law enforcement questions. Uh, you know, folks were wondering if they could use a 10-cara rod or set up in a fly fishing area only. And we, we have about eight of those statewide. Uh, so we said, you know, no harm, no foul here. We don't want to, you know, put our, our NCON officers in an awkward position. We think it's very reasonable. So, and we talked to them about it. We just plan to legalize it. So you can use your traditional fly fishing equipment or Tenkara in any fly fishing area only, you know, if this moves forward and, and it gets approved. Change. Yep. Yeah, what's the bubble float change? Okay, uh, the bubble float, uh, there was a restriction, and there is a restriction on using any additional weight in, in certain areas, uh, primarily in areas where you're fishing for broodstock Atlantic salmon. And the intention there was to prevent folks from snagging. Uh, I've never been there. I know a lot of people, you know, go to the Pulaski area of New York, uh, and, you know, we'll catch very, very large uh, Pacific salmon, you know, that are landlocked in the Great Lakes. Uh, sometimes people would snag those fish. It's generally considered unsporting. So early on, when regulations were being developed in anticipation of an Atlantic salmon fishery, the regulations were put in place that you could not add any weight to the line. So over the years, you know, people are, again, using different techniques. So a bubble float, is a, you know, a, a spherical or oval-shaped float. It's usually plastic. 
you can fill it with certain amounts of water to uh, change the buoyancy and to improve casting. So if somebody wanted to cast a very light lure that otherwise complies with the, the regulations or, or even cast a fly on a spinning rod, they would be able to do that with the bubble float. We don't believe that a bubble float would allow anyone to unfairly snag salmon or other fish. So we think it's a reasonable change and that's why we're uh, recommending that change. And real quick, because we are running out of time, the changes for carp and catfish. Yeah, the, the carp one is interesting. I could probably spend an entire show talking to you about that and I'd be happy to come back and do it. Yeah, we could do that, uh, certainly. Know, carp, common carp have been here since uh, the mid 1800s. They were brought over from Europe and Asia by the US, uh, Fish and the US Fisheries Commission in, you know, in 1850 or 1860, basically to feed the, the, the growing nation at the time. They are a non-native fish. It's a very large minnow, uh, but in recent years, they've uh, be gained some favor with, uh, you know, specialized anglers. A lot of uh, the European anglers are really into carp fishing. They, they talk to us, and it was, in fact, one of the reasons why in our reg proposal that went through for 2015, we started to allow three fishing rods in many areas because, you know, they'll bait an area, put rods out, and, you know, would like to fish with three watt rods, so we, we allowed that. Uh, what we're really trying to do is, you know, help promote the fishery, and it, it's sort of a new niche fishery that we think could be, you know, further, you know, taken advantage of by, by anglers, and it, and it can be enjoyed by a lot of people. It's mostly a shore fishery. You can spend a lot of money on carp fishing. Yes, you, but you can. You can also get into it at a very low-tech level and not spend a lot of money. So by putting these regulations in place, we're in essence just trying to draw more attention to the fish. We're really not doing it for standard biological or fisheries management reasons. And we're sort of, you know, doing this in a groundbreaking manner. The only regulation we're aware of in the entire country is a trophy carp regulation in uh, Lady Bird Lake in Texas. Mm -hmm. So with our proposal, there would be a statewide five-fish creel limit, and, and also you can only have one fish over, I think, 30 inches. I may have the, the length wrong. And then we wanted to designate certain waters, which are already known as being very, very good carp fisheries, as trophy waters. And so that's our proposal. Okay, and catfish, I saw a couple of changes. Yeah, the thing with catfish is we've, you know, the Connecticut Rivers had an historic population, you know, many years ago of white catfish. Within the last 10 or 15, 20 years, it's been sort of overtaken by channel catfish. And in a large river like that, there's, there's scour holes and, you know, there's debris on the bottom and there's places they can spawn. Uh, it's a popular fish nationwide. There's people fishing for it here. In 2007, we began a program where we started stocking some urban ponds with larger catchable-sized catfish and many lakes with a, a smaller catfish that could grow to catchable size in a year or two. So initially, you know, there were no creel limits on catfish, and, you know, that's how it's always been done. I started looking at this even before I came director, became director here and was asking questions because, 
you know, we're spending money to provide fishing, uh, you know, for the, the general public. And it just didn't make sense to me that there would be no creel limits on a fishery product that we're spending money on. So, you know, we, we purchase uh, about $44,000 worth of catfish each year, and we stock them out. And we have heard, you know, reports from some waters where folks will just come in and, you know, harvest the heck out of them. And we've had complaints from other anglers who are, they're like, why don't you put a limit on these things? So that's what that proposal is. Uh, there'd be a three fish limit in, uh, I think it's 13 waters statewide where we are stocking the larger fish. And then just for consistency uh, across the state, uh, we, we have a six fish limit in aggregate, whether they're white catfish, which are not that common, or they're channel catfish. So that would be for all other waters. Peter, this I is, think I covered it. I think you covered it, and, and I think it was a very educational half hour that we've spent. I do want to set up a time, we'll do it offline, uh, to come back on and talk some more about carp fishing. And I'm going to go on the record and just say, you know, nobody's thrilled about spending an extra 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 12 bucks, but I'm willingly going to do it if it's going to help protect the hatcheries and help protect fishing here in this budget crunch. So that that's my two cents for what it's worth. Peter Arstead of the DEEP, thank you so much for joining us and spending so much time explaining the new fishing regulations. Hey, it's been a pleasure. So good luck to all of your anglers and listeners. I know there's some tremendous uh, fishing going on right now in marine waters. A great thing about Connecticut is you can fish uh, 365 days of the year. So get out and enjoy it. It's what keeps me here. Thank you, Peter Arstead from the DEEP. We'll be right back to put a wrap on Yankee Fisherman presented by the Dock Shop. School's out, the weather is hot, and the fish are biting. Whether you're heading to the beach or out on a boat, stop in at the Dock Shop before you go to fill your beach bag or tackle box with everything you'll need for fun in the sun. A new beach cover-up, some sunscreen, or just some bait, the Dock Shop has you covered from either location. 51 Tokenique Road, Darien, 609 Riverside Avenue, Westport. And yes, you heard that right. Bait is now available in Darien and Westport. The Dock Shop, 51 Tokenique Road, Darien, 609 Riverside Avenue, Westport, dockshop.com. Now teeing off, Paul Miller from Miller Nissan in Fairfield. Excuse me, Mr. Miller. What about my new Sentra? Right now, lease a 2017 Sentra S for only $97 a month. He is never going to retire. Want a new experience in car buying? Skip Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram with one of the largest inventories of new two- and four-door Wranglers. We are Connecticut's Wrangler headquarters. Come visit our new Ram Truck Center. Browse our website, scapchryslerjeep.com or scapdodge.net to find the new Jeep, Chrysler Dodge car, minivan, or Ram truck you've been looking for. Just two miles from both I-95 or the Merritt Parkway exit 44. Save thousands right now at the Summer Clearance Event. Now through August 31st. At InSports Trumbull, the game is always on inside. Registration is now open for our fitness training programs for high school athletes. The InSports Performance Center is offering blast speed classes, athletic functional movement assessments, and both men's and women's elite speed and strength training. Our premier programs help bring athletes to the next level. 
Call 203-268-1214 for more information. Like and follow us on Facebook. At Pure Bar Ridgefield, our tried and true method can shape every body and fit any schedule. Pure Bar is a total body workout using the ballet bar to perform small, isometric movements, which burn fat, sculpt muscles, and create long, lean physiques. Sweat away the day and get lost in the music. Pure Bar Ridgefield, located at 86 Danbury Road. Like us on Facebook at Pure Bar Ridgefield. I'm Tracy Masella, a licensed clinical social worker at Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan. Join me each month as we talk with experts on the front lines of the treatment of mental health and addiction. Straight Talk with Tracy, a Silver Hill Hospital production, airs at 12 p.m. on the second Thursday of each month here on the HAN Network. Welcome back to Yankee Fisherman, presented by The Doc Shop. Thanks again to Peter Arstead for coming on and explaining the proposed regulations. That hearing is August 9th up at the DEEP headquarters in Hartford. Uh, coming up this weekend, Summerfest at the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum. They'll have live music this year. They'll have the casting competitions, Angler's Market. That's going to be August 5th and 6th. No charge for admission or parking that is going to do it for this week's Yankee Fisherman. We'll be back next week. We'll have a look at the new soundkeeper who's going to replace the late Terry Backer. Keeping an eye on things on the Long Island Sound. Till then, tight lines.